I'm going to invite you to look at this passage in a different way. I don't know if any of you have heard of a way of reading scripture called Lecto Divina or have been on silent retreats or anything like the sort of thing I do as a chaplain. But there's a way of looking at an event like this which is quite different from simply reading it as we have just done. And then uh, after we've uh, gone through this passage, I'll just move on further in the text because that actually um, is all happening very fast afterwards. So what I want you to do is to put your Bibles to one side. You don't need to look at it. And in your mind, you may find it helpful to close your eyes. You may not. I want you to put yourself with these two disciples. You can either be a third person who isn't mentioned, we don't actually know who the second disciple was. There's a tradition in the Middle East that if you are the writer of the story, you are that person, but you don't ever put your name in. So it might have been Luke. I don't know. We don't know for sure. But you can be a third person who's walking along with them, another disciple, or you can elect to be Cleopas or let's make the other disciple a man so you know we can... Just think of one of them, James or somebody. And you be that person. And as we go through this, as I take you through the story, you try and just imagine what your reaction would be, both as you yourself and as that disciple or that third person as we go through, okay? So we'll go through it like that. So first of all, one of them says, well, let's go off to Emmaus. It's only seven miles, it's not far to go. It's a nice walk. We've had a lot to think about. Shall we go? And we all make a decision to go. And so we set off on this seven-mile walk. And as we go along, we reflect back on really what we would call Easter week. Easter, like for us today, is a memory. We had Good Friday, we had Maundy Thursday, we had that Passover meal with Jesus when he did this strange reworking of the Passover, with bread and wine, which he said is his body and blood. What was that all about? And then we went to the Garden of Gethsemane and then Judas suddenly turns up with some enemies of Jesus and enables Jesus to be arrested. That must have been a shock. We don't know what's happened to him yet, but that was a shock. We did wonder what Jesus was thinking when he seemed to say something special to him at that Passover meal, but we didn't really understand what he was saying when he said, go and do what you are doing, do quickly. We didn't understand what that was all about. Maybe that was it. And then there was all that business of 
going between the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders. The Jewish leaders seem clearly to want Jesus to suffer the penalty of death for their ideas of blasphemy. The Romans seemed a bit more unsure of what they were doing, but in the end, the worst thing happened and Jesus was convicted and sentenced to death. We know that Peter stayed behind. We don't know too much of how he felt, but he stayed behind and he watched everything. Others went away. But we don't really know what all this means. And we can talk about it for these seven miles and maybe we can work out what on earth is going on. Um, particularly as we've heard, well, maybe we call them rumours, maybe we don't, but stories that he's not in that tomb that he was put in, that tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. He's supposed to be there, but he isn't there anymore. Nobody seems to know quite what's happened. And then we've got these stories from these women. You never know whether to trust women in the Middle East um, with their strange stories, so maybe... But then a disciple went, he found exactly what, what they said. Jesus wasn't there and they saw an angel and he said he's risen, he's gone into Jerusalem. It's all a bit odd, it's all a bit strange. And as we're walking along, seven miles is quite, quite a way, it's going to take a couple of hours. The conversation goes back and forth and in your mind you can wander through the Easter story in your own mind and just see what you make of it. And then as you're walking along, somebody seems to catch up with you. You haven't quite noticed them, but they're suddenly there beside you. And uh, you kind of turn to them and say, well, what do, you, what do you think about everything that's going on in Jerusalem? And the person acts as if he doesn't know anything. What, what, what thing's that all about? So you try and explain to this new person the Easter story. Just try and explain to them simply how this person, Jesus, that you got to know, a famous rabbi eventually, he performed many miracles and powerful teaching. People were impressed. He gathered hundreds and thousands of people. He did many miracles. We were in the group of his disciples. And then at the end, it all suddenly seemed to go wrong. We thought he was going to rescue Israel from occupation. We thought that was at least one thing he might be able to do as a miracle. And so we talk to this person and he just listens and doesn't say a great deal until we're almost at Emmaus. So we don't know quite how long that was for. Half an hour, 15 minutes, we don't know. It's getting dark and as is the custom in the Middle East, you don't just let someone walk off down the road into the dark. You ask them if they've got something to eat, if they've got anywhere to stay. And these disciples, because 
Jesus had begun to explain to them all this history that's in the Jewish scriptures, and that made them even more amazed. How did this person know how to work it all out? Who on, who on earth was this person? And they said, well, come and, come and stay with us. Come and just stay with us, it's fine. And so he came in, and as is customary, over a simple meal, he was asked to give the blessing to break the bread. And then, just imagine the surprise when they just knew this was Jesus. The way he broke the bread, the way he said the things he said. They didn't, didn't get that impression when he was walking along explaining about the prophets and Moses and all that stuff but only when he broke the bread. And just, just imagine in your mind for a moment the shock, the wonder, all kinds of emotions all stirring up together. And you kind of almost blink, wondering what on earth it is. He's gone. He disappears. Now what? What do you make of that? It must have been Jesus. Can't nobody else. Nobody else is like that. What, what, what's happening? And what shall we do now? We're just going to stay here and go to bed, have a decent night's rest? No. We, we want to we wanna rework out what's going on. We, look, there's only one way to find out. We better go back to Jerusalem. So regardless of the time of day, we make a decision to walk the seven miles back. Now, you and I in Linfield are probably not into 15-mile walks as a daily exercise, but <laughs> there are some people I know that do that. I heard of one the other day. Um, walks that far to work, walks that far back again. And off you go. You walk back to Jerusalem. And that's where we come to the next part of the story. And I won't ask you, I'll, I'll ask you to sort of open your eyes now as if you're wandering back on the journey back. You've got lots more to talk about. You've got another seven miles to walk back. So how did you find that as an exercise? You, you could feel more part of it, couldn't you? Now, you can make that last as long as you like. You can, you can do it by looking at the scripture and taking it a couple of verses at a time or a little part of the story and focusing on that. And that kind of keeps you... I've done that for you by just talking. Um, but you can do that on your own at home with a, with a passage like this. You do all those gospel stories. You can do it with all of those. And you can get to know Jesus in a whole different way than just reading the words. So let's go back into the story then. So they get back to, Jeru to Jerusalem and they returned and found the 11 disciples and they're all together and they say, oh, it's true. They say it's true. The Lord has appeared to Simon Peter. And then the two from Emmaus and you can include yourself in this you tell them what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised 
when he broke the bread. And they're only just talking about this. And Jesus, the next verse says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Another shock. This is a day and a night of shocks. Jesus appears not once, not twice. He's all over the place. There's something different about this Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. He's the same but different, and you'll find we can see that as we go on. And they were startled and frightened, thinking they'd seen a ghost. Well, that would be your immediate reaction if somebody suddenly appeared in front of you like that. Um, You wonder. And he says, look at my hands and my feet. It's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see me have. So Jesus offered them, you know, you can touch me. And then he went on to ask them an interesting question which shows us something about the resurrected body of Jesus. He said, "Um, by the way, do you have anything here to eat? And they said, yes, we've got some um, boiled fish, broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it. He was a resurrected human being who ate and drank. He wasn't a kind of ghostly figure. He wasn't a strange... He was a new creation, yes, but he, he still could eat and drink. Extraordinary. They watched him. So you imagine, you can imagine that. You can go home uh, later and look at this passage and, and go through it the way I did the first part. And he said, everything must be fulfilled. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. That's pretty much the whole of the Old Testament. You imagine suddenly stumbling on someone in a journey, wandering along, and he knows everything everything from Genesis to Malachi everything to do with the Messiah well it's pretty good if you can pass an exam on that I I couldn't, I I can't do all that by heart but it would be very impressive if you met someone that could just tell you the whole story like that and he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures and the word Christ just means Messiah in Greek. So the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, he says. My goodness. Right, now your life is turned upside down again. You're not only an observer of these events, you are a witness a first-hand witness. This is going to have to be something you seriously think about because first-hand witnesses of events like this usually get a very hard time. People don't believe them. And Jesus, in a way, was kind when he, when he went 
into heaven. He said, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. Don't, don't, don't go rushing about, just stay. So they stayed in the upper room 40 days. So they did stay quietly and didn't uh, go out into the open a lot. Big thing, being a witness like that and being commissioned to be the witness that tells other people. Just imagine in your mind what, what that actually means. We think of people that are special that do that. We think of evangelists like Billy Graham or we think of missionaries that go out to far-flung parts of the earth. But these were just regular disciples of Jesus living in Judea. They had no concept of worldwide mission that would involve them. Suddenly it was all looking to be rather different. And that's very well worth reflecting on. And so he passes on the, passes on the word. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. That's actually good advice to anyone who is thinking about going out and doing anything in the way of mission, no matter whether it's just in Linfield, like we used to have missions on the common with tents and all that kind of thing, or anything. It's better to wait in prayer, and wait to be filled with the Holy Spirit and go out in the power of the Spirit because then it will be successful. Otherwise it can be very uphill because it turns into rather an intellectual exercise and not really an exercise in the sovereign power of the Holy Spirit using us as witnesses. So, as you come to the end of such an exercise, you reflect on your response. Your, your responses might be, be different. You might be someone who says, oh, great, let's get on, let's get on with the mission, let's tell people. You might be someone who's much more shy, and says, hang on, I think I better wait a bit, I think I better... <laughs> I think I better find out what I'm really going to do about my family and my business and all this other stuff, um, you know, before I make some big decisions like this. Not all of the disciples were called to go far away. Peter largely remained in Jerusalem, it seems. So did others. Others ended up as far away as India. Mark founded a church in Egypt. And so, um, and then there was later there was Paul. We tend to know rather a lot more about Paul, but other, Mark founded the church that exists today in Egypt. So they did some big, big things. But just imagine that those first moments when you realise that your life hasn't come to a shattering end at the cross, but has rather turned into an incredibly big adventure, and life is never going to be the same again.